Hey, what's up, guys? This is Clint McGill with Baseball Notes. Thanks for being on the podcast with us today. And today's guest is uh, a guy I just think a lot of, and his name is Alan Jager. And Alan is the founder of Jager Bands. You've probably seen pitchers out in the outfield before games or uh, you know in the bullpen kind of stretching with that tubing. Well, that's Alan's work there. And uh, anyway, just a pioneer in the industry and uh, just a great guy. And this interview actually came from the Youth Baseball Summit that we did about a year and a half ago. And kind of a fun fact about that is that Alan was the first interview that I ever did for that summit. And now keep in mind, at this point in time, I've got a lot of imposter syndrome going on, right? This was just kind of a harebrained idea of like, man, I really think something like this would be cool. Should I be doing this? You know what I mean? Like I, it was not in my nature to just go out and just start new things and do this type of thing. And uh, anyway, Alan and I did a Zoom call and we had tested out or I should say I had tested out all of the tech and everything else. And uh, anyway, we have a conversation. It goes extremely well, and I'm so excited about it. And about an hour later, after we're all done, I find out that everything failed from the tech standpoint. Like, nothing nothing went well. There was no audio. Uh, the video had frozen, and it was just just worthless. And uh, even as an adult, I could have cried in that moment, right? Like in that moment, I was ready to ditch the entire uh, Youth Baseball Summit baseball notes. It was like, you know what? I'm embarrassed. This didn't work. I'm not going to do it, right? And so anyway, after that little pity party, um, I you know, continued to do some interviews that I had set up, but was you know, too prideful to reach out to Alan and re-interview him, right? Ask him if he wanted to do it again just because I was embarrassed. And uh, anyway, as the interviews for the other people kept going on, uh, they were great. But just in the back of my mind, it was like, my gosh, that interview with Alan was so strong. I've got to give this audience uh, more of Alan, right? So what I did was I swallowed my pride and I reached out to Alan to see uh, if we could do it again. The tech failed and Alan, being the wonderful person he is, said, of course, absolutely. When can we do it? So we set up a time to do a second interview, right? And the day comes, I'm all excited, I'm getting everything, I'm a pro at this tech stuff at this point, and about two hours before I'm set to interview Alan, we had a major setback with the family dog, right? We had a 12-year-old dog that just had a, just a massive downturn, and again, now, you know, this is a big deal in our family, this is a beloved pet, and, but man, I don't want to have to cancel on Alan here and be this big flake. And it got to the point where I was like, man, there's just no, there's just no doing this today. So reached out to Alan again, said, Alan, can we reschedule? And again, being the beautiful soul that he is, was uh, more worried about us than his schedule, right? He was like, another time, let's do it whenever, you know, good vibes out to you and your family. You know what I mean? So, um, so anyway, finally, third attempt, he and I get this interview done and we actually had to break it into two parts because Alan's... Uh, sort of scope of expertise is just so broad. He's so good with the throwing, arm care, long toss, and also just uh, you know a big pioneer in the mental side too. And so in this episode, we have the you know arm care, the J bands, the stories behind that, and uh, the long toss program that I think you're just going to be you're just going to find very valuable. And uh, anyway, I just want you guys to know that 
you know, Alan, and it comes through in the interview too, but I just want you to know that he is such a genuine guy and has a, a special place in my heart because again, he was a part of my path with my first interview and uh, I wanted to quit and, uh, you know, him being, you know, so good was like, man, I can't stop. I can't just let that kind of content not reach more people. And so that was a big part of uh, me keep on pursuing this baseball notes deal. And so uh, uh, some gratitude out there for him. So before we get to the interview, let's get to the Bulletproof Hitter review of the week. Hey Clint, a couple months ago, my wife mentioned the Bulletproof Hitter and suggested I take a look. We have an 11-year-old son who plays travel baseball. He's a solid baseball player, but struggles at the plate at times. He usually starts off the season hitting well, then gets into a slump and has a hard time turning things around. This summer, the same thing. He went from batting over 500 to an all-time low of 182 at midseason. We started watching the videos, discussing them after, and worked on some various hitting drills. In his last nine games, he has gone from the bottom of the order to the leadoff spot. He finished the summer season leading the team in hitting and swinging the bat great. He also hit his first home run outside of the ballpark going opposite field a couple of weeks ago. He is just pounding the baseball to all directions. That smooth swing and batting practice is now always there when it's game time. Thank you so much for making this kid and his parents believers. Randy. Well, Randy, thanks again for sending that email. Always appreciate people taking the time to uh, give updates on how the program is going. And uh, awesome, man. Again, I can't can't tell you enough how blessed I feel to be a little part of uh, that kid's success. So it's more of just helping a kid get out of their own way. But uh, anyway, without further ado, here is the interview with Mr. Alan Jager. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Clint McGill with Baseball Notes. And today we are here with Alan Jager, founder of Jager Sports. So, Alan. How you doing? Thanks for being here with us. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, Clint. I'm excited to uh, be part of this really cool project. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you here. So if, uh, if any of you at home are unfamiliar with Alan's work, um, he has one of the most diverse sets of expertise of anybody here in the baseball industry. Uh, from arm care, he's one of the top arm care guys in the country, one of the top mental game guys in the country and definitely the top long toss guy in the country. And uh, he's got a lot of methods that are really underused and so really excited to get into it here today with it. So, uh, so Alan, you ready to get into it? I am uh, ready for action, buddy. Thank, Thank you, you for the nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you earned it, you earned it. So, uh, so yeah, this will be fun. But uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about arm care. That's what uh, everybody's kind of, you know, got, you know, we're seeing Tommy Johns everywhere. People are hurting, are we doing pitch counts, are we not? And uh, for those of you at home, uh, Alan, if you're familiar with Jager, uh, you're probably familiar with Jager bands, because if there's any tool that's out there in the baseball world that you would, could really say is a staple in, uh, in all teams, major league, minor league, college, high school, even kids, I see it at Dick's Sporting Goods, the J bands are there. So um, tell us a little bit about the J bands. What problem are, are those solving right now? You know, I think first and foremost, one of my favorite terms I got from... Um... Uh, a PT named Tina Schwager, who was actually in our very first throwing DVD, an arm care DVD. Uh, she came up with the term prehab versus rehab. And I really think uh, 20 years later, however long it's been, uh, that was a very prophetic um, term. And I really think it's the simplest way to put it. You know, the same things you would do post-surgery to get your arm so healthy and strong after the trauma of surgery the concept of just doing those same great exercises prior to throwing. Um, and I have a yoga background and I mean, it just makes so much sense. I mean, a lot of the band workouts are just for 
range of motion and blood flow and targeting small muscle areas and balancing out the 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 rotator cuff to where the maybe the weaker parts the deceleration you know part of the rotator cuff is strengthened and so so a lot of this is just um great to bring this out to the field and i think that's sort of the the key thing about the j bands is you can you can bring into the field it's an eight to ten minute workout if you really were in a pinch you could do it in five or six minutes but the point is is that it's just that last thing you want to do prior to, to touching the baseball yeah no that's awesome and uh how did you come up with this sort of thing like i know you used to be a player um did do you talk to you know uh physical therapists or, or how did this come along that you realized that this was healthy for the shoulder? Was it just trial and error or how did you get to this point? I'm interested uh, to find out. It's actually a really great question and it's a cool story and I'll try to keep it very brief so we can get to other stuff. But uh, in the early 90s, um, I stumbled upon a gentleman named Perry Husband who's very well known in the baseball community for his work with a lot of things. One of them is effective velocity and stuff like that. and I don't know how it started, but I think Perry used to make these bands so that hit, he's a hitting guy. I mean, he's everything. He's a, he's a, a pitching guy. He can be anything you want. But he camp as a hitting guy, and he had these bands so that the, the cuffs went around your ankles, and I think the key was to help you not overstride. And he did – I don't know how he knew about it, but he did make some bands that also were for throwing and pre-throwing and – and he just had us, he sold some of all, I just, I just remember he sold some to Mike Gillespie at USC. Uh, this is probably in the early nineties and he might've sold a few here and there, but it wasn't really his thing. It was just that he, he, I think whoever made the bands for him, he might've had some made for, for arms as well. Long story short is I thought it was a cool thing, which is ironic because when I played and people tried things on me for arm care, I, I resisted because I threw all the time. I had a really, really healthy, durable arm. Um, and the irony is, is that I feel bad because I feel like I was sort of closed-minded when I was playing. And this is going back to the, you know, 86, 87, um, somewhere around there when I was first introduced to some ideas about arm care. And something, I don't know how it clicked, but whatever it was i tried it or i had my kids try it and maybe that was around the time i was getting to yoga and so the whole idea of range of motion and flexibility and long story short is that um i just would buy it for my private lessons and i, I think i basically charged them what perry charged me per ban i don't even know if i made any money on them i just wanted the kids to have them <laughs> and honestly it's as simple as that it just became something that organically grew and i i I really think at the end of the day, like anything in life, if something is profoundly, profoundly beneficial, whatever it is in life, um, it's it spreads because people talk. You know, if, if something if I taught you one thing about putting your hands differently on a bat and you hit a ball 60 feet further than you've ever hit in your life, you'd be like, well, I don't need to do any research. I don't need to read a whole lot. <laughs> I just saw a ball I hit 60 feet further because. Alan told me to put my hands here instead of here. And I think with bands, one of the reasons they've, I think are doing so well out there in the world is one, one, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and two, I just think it's a real visceral effect the first time you use them. So that's sort of the, the backstory of how they, uh, they 
came into being through you know with me i, got I can't you. take credit sorry i can't i can't <laughs> take credit that i invented them uh-huh. but in fact you know job exercises which is which is what a lot of the band work is have been around for a long time or a variation of of job's concepts but um but yeah i just uh i think what i really did is is i started attacking it as as a very important field and and, and maybe raising the level of consciousness about it yeah, no, because it's, I mean, it spread like wildfire. I mean, I'm sure it was probably a slow grow from uh, from your standpoint who lived it. But I mean, you go to his website, which we have linked below this video. And uh, if you want to see testimonials from big names, then uh, that's the place to be because it's it's everybody. It's the it's the Kershaw's, it's the Cy Young, you know, award caliber guys that, uh, you know, they won't pitch without, you know, without their, uh, without you know, they'll, they'll leave their underwear at home before they leave their J-bands. You know what I mean? So um, so obviously it's making a difference. So, um, when it comes to arm care now, what do you, what's a problem that you see most guys making that, uh, you know, maybe more at the younger level or something, what do you see from, you know, whether it's from, you know, working out or a throwing program, I mean, what's a problem you see a lot out there today? I think the main thing really is one kid's not throwing enough. Um, you know, when I grew up, we were playing outside all the time whether it was a baseball or football or oranges, whatever, we were always throwing stuff. Uh, I think this generation, as a lot of people, I think also would agree and have commented on, you know, whether it's computer, video games, cell phones, um, you know, unfortunately it just feels like kids spend a lot more time, not not all kids obviously, but it just seems like the, the, the trend is more toward maybe being in the house or doing stuff with technology versus being outside and playing. So I think, first and foremost is just getting out and throwing more just go out and play play catch throw the ball around that's number one um two for that's more of the younger kids um as you start getting into maybe 13 14 15 and if they're serious enough they're obviously throwing enough then i think you start getting into the problem of not throwing and conditioning enough and playing in too many games or doing too much stopping and starting with whether it's travel ball and showcases and, and I'm fine with travel ball and showcases. I'm just saying that you have to pick your spots so that the, in the forefront of your mind, you're always defaulting to training and conditioning and keeping a great base and, and knowing when to rest and when to build up and when to pitch live in games. And I think that that to me um, is something you have to be really, really hypersensitive to is the stopping and the starting and and not, having cycles of when you build it up and then when you rest and when you build it up, I just feel like there's, it, it could be anywhere. It, and, and so I think those are the two things is one, and that applies to almost every player for the most part, maybe until they get into if, serious college or maybe even serious high school, but throw more, get out there and throw. You don't have to, I don't mean throw 75 sliders off a mound every day. Get out there and throw and long toss and stretch your arm out. And even if you don't go out really, really far, play catch. Just throw. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, the the starting and stopping is really kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon. You know, you hear about Japanese pitchers who throw all the time. And um, for those of you who haven't listened to Nate Trotsky talk yet, here in this session, he talks about his time in the Dominican Republic. And one thing that they do there is they play a lot of baseball and, uh, you know, they don't have the distractions with the video games and all that sort of thing, you know, by and large, on large scale anyway. So they play baseball and they throw all the time and they're pretty healthy. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's some arm injuries there too. Um, But, you know, 
it's really kind of a sticky situation because if you go online, you go to a Facebook forum and somebody says, hey, look at my son. He threw, you know, 80 pitches today in the championship game and won. You know what I mean? You know, you're going to have some people that are going to say, oh, what are you doing? You're, you're having your kid throw 80 pitches. That's, you know, he's going to tear his arm off. And then you've got the other people that come in and they'll just say, oh, when we were kids, you know, we threw 300 pitches and we were fine. So um, so it's really kind of a hard debate to find yourself on. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, if you've lived a lifetime and, you know, shown that throwing more is helpful, then, then that's really good. So um, as far as the long toss goes, is there kind of like a routine as far as, like, you know, how many times a week you should be stretching out on the long toss or, or is it, I'm sure it's a little bit individual, but what do you recommend there? Well, the last thing you said is key. It's individual. I mean, everybody's different. I would say generally speaking again, uh, sort of like my earlier comment about just getting outside and throwing, you know, if you don't even use the term long toss, the key is, is to get outside and throw. Now I am a <laughs> strong believer is an understatement in, distance throwing and stretching your arm out obviously doing it in a smart way and you know you can't roll out of bed and throw it 300 feet if you haven't thrown for two weeks but you know the idea is you slowly build distance over maybe I have found it takes about three weeks for someone maybe in high school and up um, to start to get their arm completely stretched out if they're throwing let's say five six days a week um, you just slowly build up the distance um, you might only be out to 150 feet by the end of your first week, you know, you might not go past 60 feet the first day if you haven't thrown for a month. But the idea is that you'll start peaking out to your max distance, even though that max distance will change in a month and in a year and all that. But your max distance for that cycle, at least, if it's 300 feet per se, you'll get to 300 feet probably by the end of three weeks if you're throwing a lot, five to six days a week. So long story short is it usually takes about a month because once you stretch out completely, then you got to start bringing in more of the the downhill aggressive part, which you don't want to do for the first three weeks. You only want to stretch the arm out and create these angles of this range of motion by throwing the ball with arc. We like to call it low impact throws. I even love the word massage. You know, you want the arm to massage and stretch out and open up. Um, once it's totally opened up, then you start bringing in what we call the pull down phase where you start getting more linear. Now, a lot of people say, well, if I go to 200 feet, Week two, do I just walk in and not do any linear throwing? And the answer is, well, if you went out to 200 feet, which is two-thirds of 300 feet, you can still use two-thirds of your effort to kind of bring the ball back on a line. The idea is you're not getting super aggressive. If, if you're out to 66% of what you think your normal distance is, well, then you can use 66% effort to get back on a line. But you're still throwing it in more of a massage, stretchy kind of way. So the moral story is, is that Yes, we want kids to long toss and stretch their arms out. But again, I, I've been using this line a lot lately. You know, volume is, is still the king. You still need to build volume and reps. And the distance is going to come. But to me, this is about conditioning the arm. And great conditioning leads to great recovery. And by the way, great conditioning leads to great feel. And great conditioning leads to a lot of reps to where you start getting in tune with your mechanics. So there's endless amounts of benefits to long toss. It's not just to strengthen your arm. In fact, we always talk about strengthening your arm as, as the, the last byproduct, even though we know it's really important. Everybody wants to throw harder. 
but we always first talk about health, endurance, recovery, feel, athleticism, explosiveness, freedom in the arm. And by the way, long toss promotes something we're going to get into, I'm, I'm sure, here in a little bit, freedom in the mind. So there's just a, an, and, and I think the, the part of the question you, you may have asked that I, I maybe didn't hit either is that, yes, there is a way to long toss to where you're building your arm up to get into your season. There's a way that you long toss in the season. It may not be the same, of course, as it is off season. So we do have a year-round throwing manual, which really kind of gets into how many times a week. And, you know, when you start integrating mountain work, what do you do then? If you're a position player, how do you kind of go about it then? Um, again, the number one principle of our throwing program is listen to your arm. So at the end of the day, <laughs> it's going to dictate how far and how much to throw each day. But I will say, I will, leave, I will end on this point. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the more you go out and just let your arm breathe and move and stretch, it's going to want to do more of it, not less. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a pretty, uh, you know, I don't want to say controversial take, but a lot of people are just, you know, so afraid of of throwing. People's arms are hurting right now, and uh, it seems to be in a, you know, a a more prevalent. Uh, rate than it was before, I guess. And people don't know, so they're just kind of throwing out random, you know, like 100 pitch, pitches in a major league game. There's no studies that show that 101 pitch is more dangerous than another one, but people are just kind of nervous, so they're backing off. So it's really, uh, really good to talk to somebody like you that, you know, has experience and, and uh, has trained so many guys and that this has helped. But uh, one thing I want to go back, I want to make sure people at home picked up on this because your long toss um, you know, program is, is different. I won't say it's different than anything I've ever heard because I don't think I was ever coached properly on long toss. So there's two phases with Alan and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to try to translate and then uh, stop me if I got something wrong here. So the, the first phase is really the stretching out, like what he was saying. And, and, you know, early on in the season, you're not wanting to, uh, do anything beyond that, just sort of stretching it out, getting as far as you can comfortably, and then the magic, it really seems like with like the arm strengthening and things like that. And the thing that I had never heard of was the pull down phase. And so this, correct me if I'm wrong now, is when you're at your max distance, you're throwing it at a high arc, and now you move in. Let's say you're at 250 feet at max, and then you move into 200. Well, I know most ball players, it's what I did, was that now I'm throwing at 80% of my max because I'm closer well, now you're throwing at a lower arc. I know you said linear, and uh, that's what you mean, right? Is to throw it flatter, but still with the same intent. Is that is that how um, am I interpreting that correctly? Exactly. Yep. Pull pull downs is basically maintaining the exact same intent. And when I said linear, I'm glad you actually used that term because for me, when you get someone that's out to 350 way out there they're probably getting up to 40 degrees at an angle i mean so they're really getting uphill and so i don't want their next throws from 350 into 340 we come in about 10 feet of throw on the way back in which may sound like a lot but you actually from 300 feet to, to 70 feet it only takes 23 throws doing it that way but the point is this if you're out to let's say 300 feet and your next throws at 290 you're just barely a little lower than your last throw and so on and so forth. So the line comes down very, very slowly. But to answer your question, um, 
to confirm exactly what you said is yes, a pull down is simply maintaining the intent of your furthest throw, which is we call X, 300 feet equals X. And you have to maintain X all the way back in. So there's the intent remains the same, the the eyesight and the, the, the angle gets lower. And the closer you get, the harder it gets to pull this off because you're on flat ground. There's not a mound there helping you out. And to, to translate this massive distance or to compress it, which is a word I got right from Brent Strom <laughs> to <comp> <laughs> 18 years ago, by the way, because it's in our video, but to, to compress that much distance, 300 feet in a, such a short distance and maintain the same intent of 300 feet with that 35 degree angle. And how about this? Miss your partner shin high or lower. See, that's why to me, the benefit of throwing uphill turns into a positive for getting downhill. A lot of people, not a lot, but some people that think throwing the ball on a line so you're mechanically always you know, in sync and this and that, to me, it's a total misnomer because you, you're training the body to be on a line all the time. It sounds good in theory, but when you train the body, the variance of going uphill, it then has an opportunity to learn the counter of going uphill and going downhill. And you actually can train to be better downhill as opposed, because you went uphill. But man, if you can just visualize the power of 300 feet, think about 350 feet translated. I wouldn't go to 60 feet. That's too dangerous with, with someone. But if you geared up a catcher, maybe at 65 feet and you took a 300 foot throw or more, and you come all the way back into that 65 foot range and you gear up a catcher and you maintain X, which I'm telling you, I've done this a long time. It takes a while for people to get it because it's just, they're going to be up because you have to be super relaxed. You have to have a quiet mind and you have to really figure out a new way to get out in front lower and lower and lower with your release point, which is such a positive for pitching because then when you get on the mound, you feel like you're looking down the Empire State Building right to the side. It's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a trip because you've trained your body. It's like the ankle weights you use in basketball for jumping. When you could take on flat ground, and I'm going to steal another line for this is from Kirk Sarlus, without the mound to bail you out, and you can take 300 plus feet, and you can compress it into that distance and miss shin high or lower without decelerating one inch of that foot, it's magic. It's a magical feeling. And now you talk about translating that range of motion extension into downhill, down angle explosiveness with the body supporting you and the mind supporting you because you can't pull this off <laughs> unless the mind's quiet and, a, and unless the body's relaxed. It's to me uh, such a magical feeling. It's the win-win of throwing a baseball. Yeah, and and that's something that uh, I've never even encountered before. Whenever I did long toss, whenever I played, or I you know see kids throwing out there, you know you get to the longest point, and uh, then you start coming in. It's like it's over. Once you get to that longest point, you've kind of done your job. And no one ever told us about you know the work that goes on. It seems like the real you know magic, like you say, comes in on the moving in and uh, maintaining that velocity. Uh, that whole way through is just, uh, you know, I can see where that can really be be challenging to, to throw that. So um, that kind of, I want to transition into the mental game. I really want everybody at home to hear you talk about that. And uh, you said that the, it can be really freeing with the long toss uh, mentally. I, I'm, I'm interested in what you meant by that. What, what do you mean exactly? 
Because when you long toss and, and you're not trying to throw the ball on a line or you're not trying to stay mechanically perfect, if you will, which to me feels very left brain-ish, very technical, very linear. Um, to me, you're, you're pulling into play nature, more of a natural feeling, meaning if I'm not thinking about mechanics, but I'm just thinking about letting my arm be free and throwing the ball with some arc. And now the further out we go, I'm having to feel different release points and I'm having a sense where you are in space as my throwing partner, even though a lot of that becomes very unconscious and very natural. What you're doing is you're activating more of that, not more, I think you're activating almost completely unless you're thinking about your mechanics, you're activating that real feeling of, of an, an intuitiveness, instinctiveness. You're, you're being an athlete, you're being natural, which to me is where you want to be in sports and in life. So where long toss really promotes that feeling is, is because you're making these throws again with different variables going on. Your release point is changing. Your, your, your shoulders are going to have to tilt a little more, a little more, a little more. You're, you're going to have to figure out how do I hit my partner in the chest with 22 degree arc and 31 degree arc and at 118 and at 208 and at 311, all these different footages, you know, you're, or, you know, or, uh, parameters or whatever the word is i can't think of but all these different <laughs> spots that we'll use the word spot um to me you're you're just calling into play more of this relaxation i my my partner jim vatcher and we we would throw all the time back in the day and we did a lot of clinics and when he and i went on through we literally called it a meditation for us it was an art form throwing became an art it was a feel um it was a it was a great reliability on your your intuition, and to me it, it feels totally right, brain. And if you study the zone, the zone is basically the state of of being outside of you know thought and concept and future and past, and it's all feel. It's all it's all flow. And to me, that's maybe the word uh, a good word to, to talk about with long toss is you, it's a flow. You get into a flow with it. All right, guys, we're going to pause it right there for now. Alan's got so much content on the arm care and long toss. That's just fantastic. We've got a whole other section on the mental game coming up. We're going to break that into a part two. So make sure you check that out. And make sure you check out those links here below. Alan's just got fantastic training, guys. I mean, it's really revolutionary stuff. I'm, I'm just excited that I'm getting to introduce this stuff to you. So be sure to check that out, and we will see you in part two.